seems that today the, the hymns and everything was very much well-tuned, that it happens very often when we are in God's service. Of course, he inspires things. I like very much the sentence of the first hymn we sang. It says, the righteous bear fruit in due season. And that's a great part of the subject of the sermon today. Bear fruit in due season. We are celebrating the feast now of the summer fruit. Of course, it includes the other harvests too, but we're going to see in a very special way what God intends us to understand through this wonderful plan of God that he has revealed to us. Thank you. Thanks to the obedience, like the obedience of Abraham, turning to the blessing for all of humanity, and especially, of course, for the children of Israel, not only the physical ones, but the spiritual ones. And thanks to the obedience of Mr. Herbert Armstrong and his wife, God revealed to him the meaning behind the feasts, which is the very sign between God's people and Jesus Christ, between the wife and the bride, bridegroom, excuse me. It's a, it's a marvelous thing to have this knowledge and know exactly why we are here on earth, why we have to suffer what we suffer, but what is the ultimate result of this tremendous plan that God designed for humankind. And because Mr. Armstrong obeyed and his wife, and we obey and we follow into those footsteps as he followed Jesus Christ, God allow us to understand things that the world does not know and we should never take it for granted, brethren. It's an amazing thing to understand exactly why humankind was created and why we are here and where are we heading. And all the details of prophecy that the world does not know, especially in a situation like we are living in this country with the coming election, there is perplexity in the population of this nation and in the world as a whole. We know exactly where the end of things will be, and we have a shield for us as we obey God, as we see today, and boy, we have to be thankful. We thankful for this tremendous, tremendous blessing. Never take it for granted that God has revealed to us through the feasts. Brethren, we usually teach in the church and God's word teaches us to examine ourselves before Passover. You know, and uh, we insist on that because that's what we have to do. We have to examine ourselves with, if we are in the faith, if we are really repentant of things we have, sins we have committed because the Apostle Paul says, uh, Apostle John says, if someone says he, he doesn't sin, he's a liar. So we don't practice sin, but we do stumble from time to time. We have to repent. So before we get into that, I would like to invite you, brethren, to, you know, uh, this is, all of these feasts are conceived by God, the Creator, in agricultural terms. So if you hear me repeat some things, but that's exactly what God wants us to do. Sometimes I, I've been assigned sermons around the feast. Right after the feast, 
And now it's right before the feast. And it's very useful to understand some of the agricultural aspects that God had in mind and that have a tremendous spiritual parallel that we understand today. But when we understand the physical, like the law was a school teacher, then it's easier to understand the fulfillment. When we understand the, some physical aspects of agriculture in the Holy Land, it's easier to understand what God expects from us and what he is doing today, even if we are cut off from the agricultural world, most of the brethren are, and we tend to forget that that's the key in some ways to understand many aspects of God's plan. So if let's go, if you please, brethren, to Deuteronomy chapter 23. And since we are in this time of the year, so we speak about these things. In chapter 23 of the book of uh, Exodus, excuse me, brethren, Exodus chapter 23. And we're going to see what God states here. It was for the physical Israel, but we see it has a tremendous fulfillment for spiritual Israel, which we are. Not only the descendants of Israel, that are physical ones, the remnant that God has kept, not as many as God wanted to, and those that God has called to be part also of that spiritual nation, like the branches taken from the wild olive tree and being grafted into the tree of Israel, like some of us are. What great, what gratitude we should have with that brethren. So let's go to chapter 23 of the book of Exodus, and let's start reading in verse 14 to put ourselves in the context here. It says, three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. Now, sometimes people ask, why three times? And that's important to know because that's the order of the harvests in the Holy Land, brethren. And that's why God says, no one will come before me empty-handed. The first, the first harvest in the Holy Land is the barley. I can make a study, but I have done that before, and I don't want to repeat all the details now, but the first harvest that would come off, coming out of the ground was the barley. For the first, the very first thing to be ripe and it was during the days of Passover and unleavened bread. And that represents Jesus Christ, because he was the first born from the dead. He said that a grain had to die for it to become back, come back to life. He resurrected during that week, and he was the very, when they cut, and that's a beautiful study that has been also published by the church. Maybe you can find out about it. But the cutting of the very first sheaf of barley happened at the same time Jesus Christ came out of the tomb. It's pretty amazing, brethren. He fulfilled to the greatest detail all the things that he had ordained through Moses. He was the firstborn from the dead. And then the high priest 
on that Sabbath, on the Sabbath evening towards the end of the Sabbath, he would go through the Mount of Olives in the foothills, and there had barley planted there. And the high priest would cut the first sheep that was ripe at the end of the Sabbath, exactly at the time Jesus Christ came out of the tomb, of the grave. It's pretty amazing. So that's why the Apostle Paul says, also I, I can give you the scripture, I don't want to go into too many details, it's an overview. Today, in chapter 15, I think it's verse 22, of the book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul gives us the order in which God will make people alive. That means they will give them eternal life. In, the, in that order, 5.22, For as in Adam all die, even in Christ, all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ the first fruit, first fruits of the barley, first seed to come out of the ground. He was the first one to be born again from the ground. And then that was the barley. Each one, uh, let me read here, Verse 23, each one in his own order, Christ the first fruit. Afterward, those who are Christ's at his coming. But who are those who are Christ's are the second harvest, the harvest of the wheat, which was kept exactly seven weeks after the barley sheaf of first fruits was offered. And you can read that in the book of Leviticus 23. You count seven weeks. And the day after, the seventh Sabbath will be the day where the new grain will be offered. There were two new grains. So it had to be one from one harvest, the barley, and another new grain from the wheat. And I read it to you so that you have it clear. In chapter 34 of the book of Exodus, the wheat is called by its own name. <clears throat> and here we see it. In chapter 34, verse 22 of the book of Exodus, 34, verse 22, and you shall observe the feast of weeks, that's Pentecost, of the first fruits of wheat harvest. Remember, first came the barley and then the wheat. And, uh, and then it says, and the feast of ingathering of the year's end, which was the feast of the summer fruit, which includes the pomegranates, the figs, and very especially the wine out of the grapes, of the vine, the vineyards, and the olive oil from the olive trees. Each one having tremendous significance for us. So let's see a little bit uh, more of this commandment of God for us to gather three times a year. So the first time is because when they entered into the Holy Land under Joshua, they start harvesting for the first time. It was the month of Habib, the springtime, and they harvest the barley and offer the sheaf offering for the first time in the Holy Land. Seven weeks later was the feast of the weeks which offer the first fruits of the wheat. That's exactly what the Bible says. And if you want a more just a review of that, 
just I give you two more scriptures, which I, there are more than that, and I give them to you, so you keep in mind, in the book of Ruth, you can read in chapter 1, verse 22 of the book of Ruth, and here God gives us the order of those harvests, so we have it clear in our spirits, and we understand the tremendous meaning behind these physical things, which have a spiritual meaning. Chapter 1, verse 22 of the book of Ruth, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And then look at chapter 2, and you have one more proof of the order of those harvests how Christ was the first one to make that life again from the dead, and we will be the second ones, and God will finish fulfilling his plan with a great harvest of the summertime, all the way during the millennium, and then to the white throne judgment is the third stage in which we have to present ourselves before God, always with something to present to him, and that's where we're going in a moment. Well, let's read chapter 2 of the book of Ruth, in verse 23, and you have the order of harvests there. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest. And she dwelt with her mother-in-law. So you have them in order there. And that corresponds to what the Apostle Paul said, each one in his own order. First, Jesus Christ then those that are Christ at his coming, and we are represented by that wheat, but that will be transformed into spirit beings at the sound of the seventh trumpet. At the time that the third and last harvest starts, and but we will come back to life if we have died or we will be changed on that day if we have endured until the end. And all of that has to do with this feast. How does it have to do? Let's look again on the feast commandment. One more scripture. There are more than that in the book of Numbers, but to the sake of time. On chapter 16 of the book of Deuteronomy, which you will be here listening to this scripture a few times during the feast. Chapter 16 and verse 16. Here it is again, Deuteronomy 16, 16, three times a year. There you go. The plan of salvation, brethren. Each harvest represents salvation in his own order. Read again 1 Corinthians 15, 22. It's pretty amazing for us to understand these things when we take into account the physical aspect of the agriculture in the Holy Land. Again, chapter 16, verse, verse 16 of Deuteronomy. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, there is the order, and at the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. 
When it says appear before the Lord, the primitive text in Hebrew says, shall not appear before my face. You know, the suffering scribes of the Bible, they change uh, my face for before me because they thought it was true anthropomorphic. It sounds much like God has human features. I wonder if they understood that we're made in God's image and that he has a face that shines like the sun with its great power. Like Jesus Christ, with the image of his own father, did shine when he was transfigured in that mountain before Peter, John, and James. So, let's repeat this. Three times a year, so that we remember there is a plan of God that has been revealed to us. Your males shall appear... Before the face of the Lord. That's what it means. And you know one thing. When you think about before my face. We ministers. And I know you too. We feel God's presence. Is in a very special way. Present. Excuse me for the redundance. At the feast sites. And we will. Do I have time? We speak about that also and how God inspires his ministry to feed his people in a very special way. So it says here, three times a year your male shall appear before the Lord, your God, in the place where he chooses. Now he has chosen this place here and you will be meeting in the other hall. And we are convinced of God is behind this at the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, what do we do at the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Here is the point I want to bring up to your attention, brethren. When we prepare for the Passover, we are commanded by God and by his church and his ministry to examine ourselves if we are in the faith. If we are not walking astray, if we maybe have secret sins, Not secret for the rest of the people, but secret even to ourselves. Sometimes we don't see ourselves as we are, and we need the help of God to see us as we are. Like Job had to have this God powerful intervention to show him how he was. And then he repented, and he abhorred himself. Sometimes we have to abhor ourselves before the feast of Passover and of leavened bread and ask God for forgiveness. So we can continue walk to walk in this way. And that's a way to examine ourselves. In this very feast is more the fruit of repentance that God expects from us. It's interesting. Also, all these things are related somehow. But God expects the fruit of repentance at the Passover time. And that implies humility. Brethren, the barley... That represents Jesus Christ. Why did he choose the barley? Let's look. And it's a very interesting striking example. Barley was the least appreciated of these these grains. It was kind of second category. It was like the bread of the poor. Remember when he multiplied the bread. At least. He did twice. But at least. I don't remember in both times. But in one of those times. He said he multiplied breads of barley. No, 
Barley was the bread of the poor, of the humble. If you look at chapter 6 of the book of Revelation, we have something very interesting. It says, chapter 6, verse 16, excuse me, uh, chapter 6 of Revelation, verse 6. Chapter 6, verse 6 of the book of Revelation. And I heard the voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius. That was the salary of one day. A quart of wheat. That means a time of scarcity. Like is probably coming soon upon the earth. And three quarts of barley for a denarius. So barley was three times cheaper than wheat. Why did Christ choose that as the symbol of the first harvest, which represented him, the first one to come out of the ground? And why do we examine ourselves before Passover to see if we are bearing fruit of repentance and humility? Christ set an example of humility for us. That's why we eat unleavened bread. We are not puffed. We are not to be puffed up. Knowledge puffs up. And we have to be careful that our knowledge is accompanied by a humble attitude so we can grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So this feast teaches us many things. But that barley and this wheat, the week of unleavened bread teaches us we should produce fruit of repentance year by year as we come for the Passover. So we are like Jesus Christ, like you know, in chapter 2 of the book of Philippians. If you want to go there, brethren, Philippians chapter 2, you know these scriptures, they are extremely powerful. And it says, therefore, in verse, let's read chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind, that's an attitude, being you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider the robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. Imagine the creator of the universe, which has not been able to be really comprehended by all these amazing telescopes that are always farthest expanses of that universe that are unknown to men. We cannot fathom the greatness of our God. That helps us when we raise our eyes and when we see what humans have tried to explore. There's always the vastness is so great that is beyond our power to comprehend. And the one through whom all things were created became a human being. It's, it's hard to fathom that type of contrast. So, and being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death and even the death of the cross. What an example, brethren. And he chose the barley as the one to represent him who was cheaper than wheat, who represents us. So he humbled himself to the extreme. So, after this feast of Passover, of course comes this feast of weeks. We have to 
bear fruit. We have to, and this, that's the grain that was presented, the new grain we can see in, Re, in Leviticus chapter 23. Brethren, Leviticus chapter 23, he says, Here is, speaking of Pentecost, to make it shorter, 23, verse 20, he says, let's read in verse 16, 23, 16, count 50 days to the day, oh, excuse me, verse 15, and you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, he's talking of the days of unleavened bread when the sheaf of barley was presented before God from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You know, it doesn't say here is barley, but you can prove it from other parts of the Bible. Seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain. So the first fruits, there has to be from an exclusive harvest. Christ were the first fruits of the barley. We are the first fruits of the wheat. And it says, a new grain offering to the Lord. Verse 17. You shall bring from your habitations two wave loaves of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. No, why leaven? You know, the barley had no leaven because Christ at that time was, even in his human body, he never sinned. He always overcame sin. But much less because when he was presented as a sheaf of barley, he was already a spirit being. We are begotten on this day of Pentecost. Mr. Armstrong was so right. This is the beginning. Remember the 120 that were there gathered in the book of Acts were flesh and blood. They were not spirit beings. Christ, when he was presented seven weeks before, he was a spirit being. He had been changed. He came out of the grave. He didn't need anyone to remove the stone. When they removed the stone, he was already out. He had been given that glorious body, although he didn't manifest it to his disciples right away because they would die. Well, he had a spirit body. So he was not presented before the Father with leaven like we are. So when we are presented before God on this day of Pentecost, we have received the power to overcome. That's why at the Feast of Tabernacles, by the Day of Trumpets represents... Those that have endured to the end. God has begotten us in Pentecost. And we will be born again if we persevere in the struggle, in denying ourselves, in crucifying the works of the flesh all the way to the end. So the fruit of the Spirit and the presence of God in us could be manifested through us and not the works of the flesh. That's why we cannot present ourselves empty-handed on the day of Pentecost. 
I mean, on the day of, of tabernacles, at the Feast of Tabernacles, we should examine ourselves because we might have a very good amount of money to present before God. But you know, God is mainly interested. Of course, that can reflect, it should reflect a generous heart of a joyful giver whom God loves. But how about if we present a good amount of money and there has been no change in ourselves? God looks at the heart. So it's interesting that we should examine ourselves before the Feast of Tabernacles. Because God is not just looking for a physical offering in money. He's looking for a fruit that should have been born where he has given us his spirit. And that we have overcome this flesh. And it's Christ who is being manifested more and more in us. That's what he's looking for, mainly. It's like if God would assess our growth on every Feast of Tabernacles, on, on every time of those three times a year. He assesses our growth to see if we are using our talent to grow. If we are being transformed from glory to glory in the image of Jesus Christ and the Father. If we are putting to death the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit is being produced by us day by day. So we can present ourselves not empty-handed. He's going to look mainly at the heart. Of course, that offering has to come out too, the physical offering. But like we said at the beginning, these feasts have a parallel between just the physical aspects and the spiritual ones. God wanted an offering of barley because he's given them a, a harvest. And they have to present that offering to the high priest. God wants an offering of wheat because he, he blessed them with another harvest. And now we're about to present ourselves before the Feast of Tabernacles. And God is expecting a fruit. He's assessing our growth year after year to see what he did for us. The blood of his son who cleansed us and the repentance that he gave to us. And then he wants to see what are we doing with that seed that he planted in us through his Holy Spirit. In this body made of the dust of the earth. But he planted the spiritual seed in this piece, pile of dust. And he expects growth. He expects change. He will look at our heart when we present our offering. And he will know. The real growth he is expecting from us that caused the blood of his own son and that he gave us his spirit is really is a transformation inside us. If we are growing more to be like our father, like Christ commanded us, if we can respond with good to those that do evil to us, if we can forgive, if we are humble enough, brethren, to ask for forgiveness, if we are at peace with each other, if that song that was sung at the beginning also inspired me, love, that's the main thing, is love. Have our relationships. You can we present ourselves now, tomorrow evening, before the face of our Father and Jesus Christ. Say, Father, I'm using what you've given to me. I'm doing my best to change. I know I'm not perfect yet. Please help me. But I want to be like you. I want to be able to crucify all these tendencies on my flesh and let Christ live in me. Christ said, the Apostle Paul said, I don't live, it's Christ who lives in me. That's our calling. 
If we're going to be one with him, because we're going to be his wife, that implies a spiritual oneness with Christ and God the Father, so we can rule the world as one in perfect harmony. Very different from what we are seeing from we are we are seeing in our scenario, the politics of this nation and the whole world. So Christ wants to see a transformation. He wants us to bring fruit of growth, fruit of love, fruit that reflects his presence in us, that we are becoming perfect like our father who planted that seed so we could be transformed into his same image when he will give us a spirit body at the sound of the seventh trumpet. Are we changing? Are we growing? Are we presenting a real fruit before our God and before Jesus Christ, before their face as we start this feast tomorrow? But of course, that all aspects of the feast I wanted to mention to you. I think I'll have a little bit of time left. But these are the main thing I wanted to show just a panoramic view that why these agricultural terms. I, I have to speak of something that Christ spoke right before his death with his disciples. One of the last words before, before he suffered his crucifixion. In chapter 15 of the book of John, it's interesting that he, but before that, brethren, remember, the summer fruit are, we already saw, barley is the first one in the springtime. Then comes the wheat at the, towards the end of springtime, right before the beginning of the summertime. And then comes the summer fruit. So we, you see how wonderful it is to put a parallel between these things. For example, if you look in, in Jeremiah chapter 4, it mentions the summer fruit. After Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem and took captive most of the population, the few that were left gathered summer fruit. And you know that that temple was destroyed in the month of August, the month of Ab. So it was summertime. You remember when the spies returned from the exploration of the Holy Land, that they made the people revolt against God. They were bringing, what did they bring? A bunch of grapes. And it was what time? It was the month of Ab. It was the month of August, right at the time uh, that God wanted them to enter the land. And he had to change that to Passover time, to include repentance. You know, when Joshua crossed the Jordan, it was right before Passover, and during the days of unleavened bread, they turned seven times each day around Jericho, and then seven times the last day, great day, to prove, to show a complete disappearance of human civilization. And he wanted his civilization to be founded in his laws, his statutes, and his judgments, which was not done. We are, we are going to do that. The vision of Nebuchadnezzar, his dream, Daniel said to him that the fifth empire, the fourth empire, you know how Babylon, Medo-Persia, the Greco-Macedonian empire in Rome has been restored five, six times. There's only one left. When that stone hits those toes of iron and clay, he said the wind, 
the whole thing disappears. Nothing will be left. Only, and it was taken by the wind as the, it takes the chaff after the wheat has been taken out of the chaff. So a new civilization is coming, and God wants a complete change in our attitudes. We're sad to say in the political horizon, horrible carnal attitudes, that's exactly the opposite of what God will admit in his kingdom. He, needs, he wants a transformation from us. I forgot what I was going to ask you to look for. Ah, yeah, Jeremiah chapter 40. You see, there are quickly... Jeremiah chapter 40. Look at that. It says, <clears throat> verse 10. As for me, this is Gedaliah, the one who was appointed by Nebuchadnezzar, and he was killed afterwards. As for me, I will indeed dwell at Mizpah. That's Jeremiah 40, verse 10. And serve, serve, the, serve the Chaldeans who come to us. But you gather wine and summer fruit. So the wine of the grapes is produced at this, time, at this time of the year. You go to Europe, you go to Spain, you go to California. This is the time where the, the harvest of the vineyards takes place. And oil. So the olive trees produce the olives by this time of the year. Put them in your vessels and dwell in your cities that you have taken. And look at verse 12. Then all the Jews, this is Jeremiah 40, verse 12, return out of all the places where they had been driven and came to the land of Judah to Gedaliah at Mizpah and gathered wine and summer fruit in abundance. The main fruits that are mentioned, you can find them in the book of Deuteronomy, Summer fruit are the figs, the grapes, and uh, the pomegranates, and the fruit of the vineyard. Those are summer fruit. In a way, it should represent what we are presenting before God at this time. A, a fruit of growth. A fruit delicious. Healing. That our presence in every sight be a shining light to the world and to the brethren because it's God who dwells in us. He wants that love that we sang with all those characteristics which are pretty. It needs a real conversion to endure all things, brethren, to be patient with each other. So we have to examine ourselves to see if our marriage has improved, if our relationship with our children has improved. The children themselves are responsible before God. Has the, have the, has the relationship with the parents improved? Our relationship with each other because we are destined to be one with Christ. One with each other. That was the last fervent prayer of Jesus Christ before his Father. And these are delicious fruit that we should be producing in our lives. Like Mr. De Simone explained, love, joy, and peace. If that is happening, and that happens in God's people, because God will finish the work he started in us, that's the reason why we often say,
this was the best of all feasts because God's people is growing. And at each feast, there is more joy. There is more peace. There is more love. There is more meekness. There is a fruit that's being produced, that the presence of God in us, brethren. Now, let's read also in Luke 13 to see how Christ expects summer fruit from us, which is very delicious. In chapter 13 of the book of Luke, let's read this parable. Chapter 13, I'm sure you're there. <clears throat> oh, excuse me, I was looking in the wrong place. Here, yes, in verse 6. Chapter 13, verse 6 of the book of Luke. Let's see at an example of a summer fruit. And what happens when that tree does not produce its fruit in due time, like we sang just before service, during services at the beginning. The righteous, that's Psalm number one, we bear fruit in due time. So we have something to present before God, spiritual growth. He's more interested in that than in the amount of money we present. Remember, the poor widow gave the least and gave the most because of her heart. And Christ was watching. He was looking at her heart. And that's he's looking at. Let our offering be a reflection of what's in our hearts, brethren. This is a real change. And look at this. Chapter 13, verse 6 of the book of Luke. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Remember the vineyard? is Israel. The vineyard is Judah. And Christ came for three and a half years to his, and his did not receive him. And there was not real fruit of repentance in those cities, Capernaum and Chorazim, and that he cursed. And he says, Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit out of this fig tree and found and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? God planted a seed in us that cost first the blood of his own son. Christ cleansed our temple with his blood as we repented. And God gave us that repentance. And then the father, because covenant in Hebrew, berith, means cleansing. And God did the whole thing. He goes to repentance. He gives us the blood of his own son to purify us. And then he gives us his own spirit, the essence, the seed of God the father. For producing himself through us, his children, dust of the earth. He expects results. That's what we have to examine ourselves before the Feast of Tabernacles. What fruit are we bearing, brethren? 
Are we neglecting all of what God did? Here it says, why does it use up the ground? Cut it off. And Christ said it, and John the Baptist said it. The axe is put at the root of trees. And when a tree does not bear fruit, it will be cut off. God is not a respecter of persons, but he's giving us everything we need to overcome. He doesn't want anyone to be lost. Like Mr. D. Simone explained in his sermonette, it depends on us, brethren. He gave us all of those things. It depends on us whether we put them to use, we put them to work. Because he also says, here in Hebrews chapter 11, I don't want to scare you, brethren, but these things are written here for a reason. So we take seriously, these feasts are not just one more feast. God is assessing our growth. He's looking at our hearts when we present our offerings to see if there is spiritual growth. If we're presenting fruit, summer fruit, so to speak, spiritually speaking, before him. In chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews, let's read this one. It's sobering. We are here to rejoice, but we have to remember these things, brethren, to understand all what these feasts imply. In chapter 10 and verse this is book of Hebrews. Oh, chapter 6. Excuse me, brother. He repeats that same thing about the unpardonable sin. But we go practicing sin again in chapter 6. He repeats it in chapter 10. To headquarters church. To the church in Jerusalem. So, let's look at chapter 6. What Paul says in verse 7 of the book of Hebrews. Chapter 6 and verse 7. He says, For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it. During the whole year, God sends us the early rain so our ground is softened, so this, all the seed that was planted during the feast has the opportunity to sprout and grow and bear fruit. For the earth which drinks the rain that often comes upon it. Every Sabbath we receive healthy rain to give us growth. And bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated. Receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed. Whose end is to be burned. So we, we have. God doesn't want anyone to get lost. He's giving us all the tools. To receive blessing. But we have to make. That effort of using. Every tool he has given us. We just have to use them. We cannot create the Holy Spirit. We cannot create repentance. We cannot create the blood of Christ. Everything was given to us. We have to put it to work. In our lives. Getting up early in the morning. Fasting often, studying that book, being fed by the word of God, meditating day and night like the first psalm we, we, we heard, the first psalm we song we sang today, so that that seed grows and grows because it's well nourished. But if we, if we produce the, the works of the, of the flesh, if we cause contention, if we cause contention of the feast, brethren, if we set a bad example, we will be producing breeders. So we are, have to be examine ourselves 
And look at Christ's words now. Now he spoke about, in Luke, about a summer fruit. And Christ, you know, at the time of springtime, the next spring probably, he came to that thick tree looking for something to eat. And some people get confused because he said it was no time of figs. What happened? He didn't find anything to eat in it. He cursed that fig tree. That's exactly what happened to the fig tree in chapter 13 of the book of Luke. Before he entered Jerusalem, on the very last days of his physical life, he wanted to find something to eat. And that was the symbol of his own people that did not receive him. And he cursed it and it was dried up. And the disciples were astonished because it did not bear fruit. Now, some people wonder, how come it was not time of figs? And uh, he cursed that fig tree. That's not fair. You know, we have a, br a, a brother in Spain. He's been an amazing example. He has a little farm in Extremadura, Spain. And he has olive trees that are probably 100 years old, and they're still bearing fruit. He has fig trees. He has almond trees. He has a vineyard. He's been working on his little farm apart, a shop he used to have in town all his, most of his life. He's now in his 70s. And I asked him, Gerardo, we have another Gerardo here, how come Christ cursed that fig tree? It was not time of figs. It was the springtime, and the fig is a summertime fruit. And he said, come here. And I was there in the month of April, in his little farm, which is at the same latitude of Jerusalem, he said, come here and look at this. So the fig tree in his farm in the month of April, the same month that Christ cursed that fig tree, had little buds that were going to be full, mature, grown figs by the month of August. So there was something there. And that's what Christ was looking for. A sign that there would be a harvest coming out of that fig tree by the month of the harvest of the summer fruit. There was only leaves. There was not one single bud that will turn into a beautiful fig that could be enjoyed. And that's why he cursed it. But that fig tree in the little farm of our brother and friend, Gerardo Espada in Spain, was going to bear fruit in the summertime. The buds were still already there. And there is some nutrition there. And Christ wanted something from it. And he found only leaves and he cursed it. Now, we're not to become negative now, but it's important to look at this part of God's plan as we approach the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the, the last part I want to read to you concerning this was chapter 15 of the book of John that has to be with another summer fruit, the vineyard. Here it is. This is the, well, one of the very last words from Jesus Christ for his disciples. He says, I am the true vine. Wow. Here we are. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not Bear fruit. As it is. That's why we have to examine ourselves at this time of the year. What type of fruit is our life producing? Brethren, I trust 
All of us, we are growing in the grace and knowledge. Knowledge by itself will puff up. To grow in grace and knowledge implies humility. God resists the proud. We can have a lot of knowledge, and God will resist us if we are not growing in his grace by humbling ourselves before his presence. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. This is the time where this harvest has already taken place. and is about to be presented as first fruits of the summer fruit before God as new wine. To enjoy the feast. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Verse 4. Abide in me. That takes meditation. That takes Bible study. That takes frequent fasting. That takes daily prayer. Like Mr. Ames said to us this past Sabbath. Two. Or why not? Three times a day. in This dark time. In which work. Getting into. And I abide in me and I in you. And it takes also to put to work everything we learn. And the branch cannot, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. And to abide in the vine takes discipline. It takes work. It takes overcoming laziness. It takes being fervent in our Bible study in our relationship with God through prayer and meditation and fasting. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Then we practice those things. We practice prayer daily, Bible study daily, meditation daily, fasting often, and putting to work daily. When we go to the Feast of Tabernacles, we should have a humble attitude, but a very joyful one. We say, Father, I know your presence is in me. And here is my fruit. It's all your work. You are the one transforming us. I cannot transform myself. But thanks to you, I'm a little bit more like you and Jesus Christ, preparing for the kingdom that this feast represents. I am the, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me. Remember, it's not just a nice thought. It takes work. Daily work. And I in him. That's why he says abide. It has to be a continual thing. Like a continual burnt offering. And never letting the fire. That God let go out. By neglect. He who abides in me. Verse 5. Second line. And I in him bears much fruit. That's what Paul couldn't do. He says, me, and I have this law, and I cannot do anything, and I know the law, but I continue to sin, until he mentions Jesus Christ. Those that are in him, his presence is in us to give us the power, if we are diligent to overcome. And we will be discovering more and more things about ourselves, so we are perfected. Like our father. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me. He is cast out as a branch. And it's 
withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. We still hope and pray for the repentance of so many thousands of people that have this knowledge of the feasts are not keeping them now. It's essential for the bride to keep all these feasts to be in the marriage of the Lamb. It has to be rescued by the blood of the Lamb. It has to receive that Passover and unleavened bread. It has to receive the Holy Seed of the Father to be one with him of the same divine species. He has to overcome. That's why at the end now we receive the Holy Spirit figuratively in Pentecost. That seed needs to produce that fruit by the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. That means we will endure until the end. It's at this time that the seven trumpets sound. You are being diligent. Then we will be in the kingdom of God. You see all the amazing parallels that we can take from what God gives us. If you abide in me, verse 7, and my words abide in you. How do they abide in us? With so many distractions, brethren. Horribly distracted world. If we are the slaves of television and internet and we have to use those things. It's a mixture of good and evil. But we cannot be the slaves of cell phones and the internet and create a dependency. It's a dependency. You are, people find themselves without the computer. They, they, they are lost in life. I still like to know when I drive, where am I going? I, used to, I went to all over Europe many years ago when there was no GPS. And you have to know by a map and have an idea, a, a clear concept. You are moving north. You are taking this little road, and it's taking here and there. With the GPS, you become kind of blind. You have to follow whatever they tell you. They are limiting us. It's very useful. Yes. But when it takes over, it's too much. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, this takes not being slaves of so many ways the world has to enslave us today and to create this dependency. I bet you in the place of safety is the wilderness, brethren. There's not going to be computers or cell phones. God wants us to learn to communicate with him and with each other using that amazing technology he put in the spirit in man. So we can connect through the spirit of God through the third heaven where no cell phone has access. So we replace them, we might be in danger. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. There is the proof. So our Feast of Tabernacles must be full of that fruit. Wow. I'm finishing on time. I can't believe this. So, and I have two more aspects. I didn't want to mention that at the beginning, which I was suspecting I didn't have time for them. 
I'll read it to you for a comfort. If I can ask Mr. Ames three more minutes just to read to comfort us. Thank you, sir. Let's read the amazing things that God wants to do with us. And I give you other psalms to read. You can write down. I give you some psalms where God is at the feast in a special way. Want to fill us with his presence, with his blessings. So we can pray for the ministry and we have the best of feasts. I want to read this one to you. Psalm 36. It's so beautiful. And since God has a special, he intensifies his light, so to speak. He's present everywhere. But at the feast, he intensifies that. If we have this receptive heart to present ourselves before him, we will experience what is written here in chapter 36 of the book of Psalms and verse 7. How precious is your loving kindness of God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. That's so beautiful. Christ said to the Jews, how many times I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers his little chicks under her wings and you did not want it. And you find this expression is in Psalm 91. Is in Psalm 34, is in Psalm 36, is all over the place. God wants us to be close to Him and have this close, intimate, warm relationship as when a bird covers he, her chicks with her wings. So we're going to go to the feast to be under the wings of our God the Father and Jesus Christ. They will be our protection, our shield. Like he said to Abraham, Abraham, I am your shield. That's chapter 15 of the book of Genesis, verse 1. And your reward is going to be very great. Same things he says to us. When we go to the feast, we are under the wings of God. And our reward, we are already tasting it in advance, which is more than we can think. They are abundantly, look at this. This is what God is going to give to us at the feast. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. What is the house of God? The church of the living God. The bulwark of the truth. And the pillar of the truth. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. God wants us to be filled and satisfied. And have a tremendous feast with very inspired sermons. That depends in part of, on us. If we pray, God, Father, please use your ministry. Fill it with your spirit. So we can receive these tremendous blessings through your instruments. And then he says, and you give them, you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. Wow. You remember what Christ said on the last great day? If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. We see the light in the darkness of this world through the feasts of God. Oh, continue your loving kindness to those who know you and your righteousness 
to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me. You can note also Psalm 42. I won't go into it now, but you will read it before the feast. He's, there's the sons of Korah are speaking about the feast time of pouring their heart before God and having thirst for the presence of God like the deer of the, the elk thirsts for the fountains in the high mountains. And you can read Psalm 84. Speaks of the same thing as we go up to the feast. And Psalm 63. Where David was in the wilderness and said, Oh God, I thirst for you. So God wants to give us abundance of spiritual food and wonderful living waters at the Feast of Tabernacles, brethren. Let's pray for that. And let's have the best of all feasts.